0: Well, how's everybody doing? It's good to see you. Welcome to Chase Oaks. Thank you. The front row here is uh, really excited to be here. I'm excited you guys are here too. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and we are in week two of a series where we've been talking about our DNA, our core values together as a church. Um, and, and we're on a journey here together uh, as a group of people. Um, and, and on any journey, there's two things that are really important to keep in mind. One of them is where are we going, and another one is how are we going to get there. And the destination on any journey is really, really important. But I think we all know from experience that the way that we get there matters a whole lot too. For example. A couple of months ago, a group of us from work were on a trip where we needed to fly to Atlanta and then drive a significant distance afterwards. And so ahead of time, we booked a a rental car. We got a a good-sized car because it's a big group of us with a lot of luggage. We got a Suburban or something like that. But when we flew to the airport and got to the rental car desk, we found out that they were out of that size of car. Now, I thought that's what reservations are for, but I guess that's not how this particular company rolled. And so with that, we said, okay, well, what do you guys got? And they were able to scrounge up a minivan, which that, that van really lived into the mini of the van side of things. One of the smallest vans that I've ever seen in my life. And so as I was visualizing the inside of the car and thinking through where all of our luggage was going to go, where all the people were going to go, I realized we're all going to get like really close on this trip. Luggage would have to be on laps. We may get to the destination that we wanted to be at, but it was not going to be A great experience. You know, the way we roll matters. You know, it it makes a difference on the experience that you'll have along the way. It it makes a difference on how unified everybody in the car or means of transportation will stay. uh, Whether or not people decide to get in the car in the first place. Maybe they decide to get out of the car at some point along the journey. And it could even make a difference on whether or not you even make it to the destination that you were hoping to get to in the first place. And so this is a really important series for us as a church. I know for some of us, we're, we're relatively new to Chase Oaks and you're probably making a decision on is this a car that you want to get in? And does, what, how's this car even designed to work? What are the key parts of it? And so I think this series is going to be a massive help for you as we have these conversations about how Chase Oaks functions, where we're going and how we're going to get there. But also, for those of us that have been journeying with Chase Oaks for a little while, I think this is a really important series, too. Because, as Jeff mentioned last week, we've updated some of our DNA and the way that we word them. Including today's statement, which is actually a new one that we have added into our into our list of DNA. But to get into today's DNA statement, I need to tell you the story of a vast and powerful empire that once existed. It had reached to throughout the known world with its impact and its influence, which made a difference in the lives of every person everywhere. It had conquered foes near and far to make a huge impact. And no one would have thought that this empire would have ever been toppled. And yet it did in spectacular fashion. And the empire I am talking about is Blockbuster Video. (laughs) Perhaps you've heard of it before. I remember a time when there was a blockbuster video on every corner of the street. There's now only one blockbuster that is left in the whole nation. Do you guys know where that is? It's a good trivia question. It's in Bend, Oregon. And what's funny is if you go and visit there, uh, they actually treat it as sort of a blast from the past tourist stop. Like go in there and remember the 90s. And so it's kind of funny. They still give out little membership cards and all of that that you go in there. And so it's so crazy that what was once uh, on every corner has gone down into one store that you remember, at least I do, because I grew up, I grew up in the 90s. When, uh, when they were at the height of their power as an organization, they kind of flaunted it a bit. You know, They charged these astronomical late fees or no rewind fees, and yet at some point, they they started to lose some of their impact. In fact, this is a funny story. I don't think this story is actually true, but it's told by the CEO of, uh, of Netflix, the founder of Netflix, Reed Hastings, and he says he owes the start of Netflix to the fact that he was assessed a $40 late fee for the fact that he lost a copy of the movie Apollo 13. Now, again, I don't know if that's true. I think it's a very convenient story that's in there, but it is kind of funny. And actually, I think it's a little bit cold that in, I think, a few weeks, there's about to be a show on Netflix about Blockbuster Video. I think they're just kind of sticking it at them uh, right now, too. But when you think of those two organizations, Blockbuster Video and Netflix, it's really fascinating. You know, one seemed to have a, a significant impact for a period of time, but then fizzled in spectacular fashion. And another one, um, and I know their story is still being written and it hasn't been complete yet and they'll probably run into their own challenges as well, but another one seemed to have the ability to navigate change, to be able to adapt to different conditions and lots of different factors and still figure out a way to make an impact. And so today's DNA statement that we're talking about is about change and navigating change. And the mission that you and I are called to is more significant than the entertainment industry. I believe what Jesus has for us is, is more than accessing great content, and that's, uh, that's nice that that's for Blockbuster and Netflix. But for us, we still face the same reality that they do, and that's this, that navigating change is tricky. The DNA statement we're going to talk about today is we're not set in our ways. It's a DNA statement that when we talk about change, it's a recognition that change is important. And I think we all know this at the core, that change is something that's necessary for us to stay effective over a long period of time. But change is also really, really hard, too. You know, it's hard to know when to change, how to change, when not to change, so that we don't lose who we are to the core. It's hard to know, uh, even want to change sometimes, because we're all creatures of habit, at least I am, too. And so what I want to spend a few moments talking about is how can we faithfully navigate change together? In a way where we maintain impact over a long period of time, but also in a way where we maintain our integrity too, where we don't lose who we are. And to talk about this, I want to look at an example of two different churches in the book of Acts who had to deal with change on their own side of things too. It was changing conditions, but they actually had the same mission. And that mission was given to them by Jesus at the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 6. And it says this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, here's the mission, in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, basically the surrounding regions that were close by Jerusalem and then the kicker to them, to the ends of the earth. Now when they heard this mission statement, Jesus' first followers in this moment, it kind of must have blown their minds because uh, Acts, 5, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 15 tells us just a few verses later that there were only about 120 believers at this time. Like in the auditorium that I'm speaking in right now, that's about this sliver of the floor of the auditorium. And so imagine that, that Jesus is here and he's looking at just this group of people right here and he's saying, you guys are going to spark a movement That's going to impact the entire world. It must have blown their minds. But we also know their mindset was at a place where they weren't thinking this way either. They weren't thinking ends of the earth. They were thinking about their own situation. Um, They had grown up in a time and in a culture where the way, the primary way that God had worked was through the nation of Israel. In fact, we saw this in the passage we just read, that their first question was about, you know, God, are you going to be, you know, Jesus, you know, the Messiah has come. You know, he rose from the dead, he conquered it. Is this the time that he's going to complete his mission on what he had set out to do and restore Israel to grandeur, to Israel, to prominence, a, a political and military solution? They're thinking it's not that the mission's getting started, the mission is done. And so God is going to have to shake them out of this mindset a bit. You know, Jesus is going to redirect them here. He's going to say, No, no, the, the, the mission the mission isn't done. The mission is just getting started. And it's not about people coming here to Israel, it's about you taking a message that is above any one culture to the ends of of the earth that God's free grace has come to the world and it's your job to share it and and that actually God is up to new ways he's going to start working in new ways that they hadn't even seen where he's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit to go and to spread that message in amazing ways but change is hard At least it is for those first believers. You know, as they heard this message, it was so hard for them to get out of the mindset that they had been living in. That while Jesus had told them clearly to go, in the following chapters that come in the book of Acts, they don't go. They stay in the predominantly Jewish areas of Judea, Galilee, and Jerusalem. And as a result, the gospel that was intended for all nations starts to take on a predominantly Jewish flavor to it, which isn't bad, but it started to soak in some of the tradition, some of that culture, and some of that mindset that would be hard. And so while those first believers kind of held on to what they were doing, God was still on the move. He starts to say, okay, so he he intervenes in the life of kind of... The, the strangest, the most unlikely person that you would think—a guy named Saul, who he later changes his name to be Paul. And this guy was somebody who was the ultra religious zealot, kind of the Pharisee of Pharisees, the you know most steeped in the Jewish culture. And God radically shakes his life. You know, long story short, he basically says, "Hey, uh, stop doing that. Go do this." And he starts to use him to say, "Hey, go take this mission out into the nations." And so as we read in a few chapters throughout the book of Acts that Paul and another leader named Barnabas, they start to go, they start to do what Jesus asked them to do. They go to the nations and they start bringing God's amazing message of grace uh, to the world. They start saying that, hey, God has come into the world uh, and, and that Jesus died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins and that salvation is free gift. You don't have to adhere to any culture or any tradition. You don't have to. Obey different rules. It's not about any of that. It's actually about trusting in Jesus alone to be in a right standing relationship with God. And as they do that, some amazing things start to happen. But what's actually kind of funny, too, is that they start to get noticed by those first Christians that are back in the Jerusalem church. And you would think that they would have this mindset of like, okay, man, I know God told us to go and we didn't go. We actually kind of stayed, but man, Paul and Barnabas, like attaboy, I'm so, I'm so proud of you guys, like keep up the good work and we can't wait to hear about that. But that's not at all what happens. Instead, they start to get really concerned about the way Paul is going about the mission and the message that Paul is sharing in those moments. Especially the part where he he was teaching about not having to adhere to the Mosaic Law traditions and customs and all of that. They started getting concerned about it. And so this is funny. This is the point that they decide to go on a missionary journey. Not necessarily to spread the news about Jesus, but to criticize. That's kind of a church thing sometimes. And that's what happens here. And so this this is in chapter 15, verse 1. And we read this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Basically, certain people from the Jerusalem church came down from Judea to Antioch. This was the church where Paul and Barnabas were based out of. And they were teaching the believers there, unless you are circumcised, if you don't know what that is, ask your mom or dad, they'll tell you. According to the custom taught by Moses, that you cannot be saved. Um... Basically, you know, uh, they were starting to say, hey, there's these customs that you needed to follow and, uh, and and in order to be saved, that there was some things. And you can almost hear them saying this in there. there. They're like, you know, back in my day, we circumcised people. That's just the way it was done. Yeah, you can almost hear them saying that out loud as they're giving this message. But this brought um, some problems. Uh, first of all, if you were a new Gentile convert into Christianity, you're going to be like, you want me to do what now? Like that, that wasn't in your original pitch for me to join this thing. I'm kind of concerned about that. And Paul and Barnabas were concerned about it, too. And this is what we read as the continue on. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were saying, hey, you, you guys are you guys are muddying the message of the gospel like you're adding to it. We, you know, Jesus didn't tell us to go and form a new religion and get people to adhere to customs. He, he talked about a relationship with God. And you're muddying that up. And you're missing the mission that God has called us to. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers appointed by the Antioch Church, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. That it was so important that they're like, we're going to stop everything. To make sure we have clarity about what the message is and what the mission is that God has called us to do. And so they have this big discussion. This is kind of a rubber hits the road sort of moment for the early church. Where they clarify something that's really important. Something that actually impacts the way you and I are worshiping here wherever we are this weekend. The way that we're able to worship is that we don't have to adhere to old customs and everything like that because of what they decided here. That they had a debate and they clarified. And there they clarified that no, you do not need to become Jewish to become Christian. No, you do not need to adhere to those customs in order to be a Christ follower. That it's about the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter, the, the leader of the Jerusalem church, says so as much in, chapter, in verse 11. Where this is Peter saying, we believe, again he's reaffirming the message here. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. Basically we as the Jerusalem church. They as all the Gentile nations that Paul and Barnabas had gone to. The whole assembly then became silent. As they listened to the signs and wonders. God had done among the Gentiles through them. It was a reaffirmation of what Jesus had told them to do. That he had said. And a reaffirmation of what Jesus had told them to do. That God was going to bring the same Holy Spirit to Israel, to Jewish believers, that he would to Gentile believers, that his message of grace and hope, that God had come into the world, that salvation was a free gift, that, that every person, regardless of status, regardless of gender, regardless of culture or generation, every person has inherent dignity, and that there's hope in the midst of a lot of brokenness, that that message that they taught of salvation through Jesus Christ alone was a message that resonates with every culture and with every generation. And that's exactly what happened after this moment. That, we saw, that they saw signs and wonders of how God started to work in amazing new ways. And the message exploded. And again, the message exploded to a degree of which we are here worshiping or listening to this very weekend. But what's also interesting is at this moment, this was a divergent moment for these two churches where you have the Jerusalem church and you have the Antioch church. The Jerusalem church, which had those questions and kind of got a little stuck in their ways, largely fades from the story from then on out. That as you read the rest of the book of Acts, you don't hear as much from the Jerusalem church. But what does happen for the Antioch church is they become the sending ground and the main part of the story of God's work among the rest of the nations. It's crazy that you and I could probably trace our lineage as a church back to the Antioch church because of their change of mindset in this moment. And what they got to be a part of were the signs and wonders that God would do For generations to come. So what's the difference between the two? You know, when you look at these two different organizations, these two different churches that had the same mission, but kind of one got stuck and one led to effectiveness, what's the difference? And I think the difference in that really impacts the way that we think about this DNA statement today and the way that we think about ourselves as a church and I think there are two aspects of a mindset that requires intentionality as you and I try to live into what the Antioch Church seemed to figure out. And those two things are being clear on mission and then constantly recalibrating around what that mission is. Let's start first with mission. Um, and I'm going to ask you if we can start first on even a mission as a church. I, I will broaden that a bit uh, to talk about what our mission is maybe as people as well. And I think there's some similarities, but there's some differences with that too. But our mission as a church um, is that we're not, we're, not, we're not our own church. This isn't Eric's church, not Jeff's church. It's Jesus' church. And so he gets to set the mission. And he was really clear on what that mission is. I mean, we already read part of that in Acts 1.8. There's another part in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. And Jesus lays it out really clearly what he wants his people to do. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Basically, it was two different elements. It was spread the word about Jesus. And then it was gather and build and build up those believers into communities as they grew more and more into the flourishing life that God would have for them. And as we dive in and as they lived into that mission, we see in the New Testament a few key kind of Functions and activities that these believers would do in order to live into that mission of, you know, evangelizing and edifying the body, about spreading the word about Jesus and growing in their faith. Um, We would see them do activities that were around learning God's word, some vital learning God's word activities, kind of even what we're doing right now, where they would be taught the word of God. They would talk about it with other people and start to apply it into their lives. We also see vital relational experiences where they're like, okay, we want to grow closer with each other as a people. And so they would they would have environments where they could care for each other and pray for each other and worship together as a community where they could serve one another and build each other up. They would eat a lot together because that tends to be a great way to build strong relationships. And then they would also have opportunities where they would witness and share about their faith and do good in the community. But the fascinating thing to me is, is as you look at those different functions in the New Testament, there's actually a lot of freedom in how they went about doing that. Um, Our founding pastor, Gene Getz, uh, who started a whole movement of churches, really, including this church. it kind of started from a study that he did of the New Testament that produced itself into a book that he wrote. And he made this observation, which which I love. Um, and this is what he says. He says, One thing becomes clear from the study of the activities of the New Testament church, that what they said is consistent. The mission, the message, the way they said it, and how they went about evangelizing varies from situation to situation. They considered the directives... As absolute, but their methods were relative. They merely served as a means to accomplish the divine ends. And this is the genius of scripture. They set people free to create unique approaches and devise methods that are workable in any culture and at any time in history. I love how he words that the genius of scriptures. It was really the genius of Jesus and the genius of Paul that as you study how they went about it, it's like they were they were really focused and really firm on their message and on their mission. But when it came to their methods, they were super flexible. I mean, sometimes they would go to a place and it'd be a large gathering like we're in right now. And other times they would go to houses and they would they would teach in smaller, more intimate environments or sometimes it'd be a one on one conversation. Sometimes people would come to hear Paul or they'd come to hear Jesus speak. Other times those guys went out to them. And they would meet them where they're at and they would ask them questions and go back and forth. And and sometimes it was more of a question and answer type of thing. Other times they would speak like I'm speaking right now where it's more of a one-way conversation. Again, that was the genius of them and their key to their effectiveness was their flexibility. That they seemed to be students of culture. And to understand the people that they were talking to and what they needed. And then would adapt themselves with the unchanging message of the hope of God as they meant to every situation. Now, while all that sounds great, and I don't think there's a person here that would say, man, that doesn't sound like a great idea at all. I'm sure we're all on board with all that. It's like, hey, flexibility, that's great. Um, that type of flexibility is actually really rare in our culture today. It was rare back in their culture as well. Why is that? It's because we fall in love with our methods. Uh, let me give you an everyday illustration of this uh, when it comes to uh, communicating with friends or loved ones. That, that's the mission. Just put that in your mind. Okay, this is the mission, communicating with friends and loved ones. What's interesting is that when it comes to that mission, we all have a preferred method of going about that particular mission. And what I've learned is that preferred method tends to be a generational method. Not all of the time, but a lot of the time it tends to be a generational thing. Like, for instance, there's a generation... My, Not be your generation, but maybe you actually fit in this too. But there's a generation that preferred writing a hand letter. Like that was the way, that was the way that you showed love and care to someone. And then there's some other people that would say, you know what? Hey, that's great. That's a little old school. I prefer a phone call. You know, a good old fashioned phone call. You get them up on the phone and that's great. Then there's a group of people that are like, you know what? And man, phone calls feel a little like just, you know, I don't want to talk to them. So I just want to, you know, get in touch with them quickly. So an email is the way to do it. Like I'm just going to shoot them a quick email and, and send them that way. And other people are like like, ah, I don't know about that. And then text messages became a thing. And nowadays it's, you know, different apps like Marco Polo or, you know, any number of things that are like that that are around there. And that's all well and good. But what's interesting is that each of us wind up becoming, when, when, we, when we fall in love with a particular method... What can happen, I'm not saying this happens for you, that happens for me, is that the preferred method becomes the method that everyone else should use. It's almost like, man, this is the way. In fact, it's the only way that this should be. And by the way, our parents thought that their way was the only way that it should be too. Am I right? And this doesn't just happen in with people. It happens with organizations and businesses and certainly with churches. You know, what I found is that when an organization or even a church, when they start out at the beginning, there's a whole bunch of clarity on what the mission is. It's like it's kind of a ragtag group of people. And it's like, okay, this is what we're going to set out to do together. And there's like, yeah, that's great. And so in that mission, there's a lot of focus on what we're to do. And then you come up with solutions and, and methods to kind of meet it in the moment. But over time, what can happen is that we can start to get, kind of hold on to the methods that we originally created. I found that this tends to happen because we tend to love the methods and the solutions that we create. Um, I, I, I would word this as sort of a, I built this, you better not break it. Or, I made this, you better not mess with it, <laughs> kind of mindset that goes on there. And what Gene gets when he founded this church and when he wrote that book, what he was noticing is he called this the drift into institutionalism. And what he means by that is where a particular method actually becomes part of an organization or a church's mission. And in some ways, protecting that method becomes can become almost as important as the mission itself. It's kind of funny that the longer you are steeped in a particular tradition or environment or method, the easier it is to get stuck in that particular tradition, method, or environment. And I think that that's what we saw with the Jerusalem church. It's what makes me really grateful for this place, personally. Um, I've now been at Chase Oaks for 14 years, um, 12 years on staff, and... Uh, and then a couple of years before that, when my wife and I were engaged, we, we joined this place. We started attending on Friday nights at Legacy. Uh, my wife is a nurse, and she we, we loved that there was a church. We are like, we never heard of a church that does a Friday night service that, that was available. And we came and really enjoyed the environment that was in there. And time and time again, what I've seen this place, and it really started with that heartbeat of Gene uh, all those years ago, was a a refocus and a focus on the mission to to not drift into that institutional pattern that is so easy for all of us to fall into. I can think of lots of different examples of how this has showed up, but there's one that kind of hits me personally. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked, uh, I, was, I was part of a team of us here uh, that was tasked with creating a new discipleship resource. Basically, I know discipleship is kind of a fancy word. So a resource that would help people grow in their faith and confidence in who Jesus is and how that applies to their life. And so that, that material, that team of us, we produced a material called Established. But as we were writing it, it was really stressful for me because I knew that our church had a really strong uh, uh, tradition with this. Not I mean, tradition is maybe not the right word, but there was a, a history where there's a material that many of you watching in any of our rooms have been impacted by. And that resource was called Discovery. And Discovery had made a huge impact and was, uh, you know, just was a dynamic resource. And what actually added a little bit of stress to me with it is that Jeff Jones, our senior pastor, was on the writing team for that resource there too. And so when he found out that I was on this team that was developing the resource, he 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 called me into his office, which was a little like, uh-oh, okay, what's going on here? And he sits me down and he says, Eric, um, as you guys are putting together whatever replaces Discovery, I only have one rule for you you have to start fresh. Like, you cannot build off of discovery. He's like, you know, discovery was great, and it did a really good thing, but this is a new generation. There's a new culture. They're asking different questions, and I just want you guys to run free and think about how the unchanging message applies to our culture today. And it blew me away, because I hadn't been in an environment where Someone in leadership who had had a stake in it gave that kind of freedom. You know, what Jeff affirmed in that moment, what was impactful to me, was that the mission was not discovery. That's not the mission. The mission is helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Jesus. And so when we talk about this statement, we're not set in our ways. When I say it's actually not new to our church, it's actually been a core part of who we've been as a church for a while. It's because of moments like that. And let me read this whole statement just just so you guys can see it, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about it. It's, we're not set in our ways. Though our biblical functions, again, those things that the the mission and the, the key activities that those believers would live into, though our biblical functions stay the same, We change our church forms to reach a shifting culture. We look for opportunities to modify whatever we do so that we can be as effective as possible with the mission we've been given. You know, this DNA statement, I think, is... in. Incredibly important um, because there's been a lot of shifting that's happened in our culture today. In fact, that's why I brought up with me um, a pair of these. Uh, these are um, these are my joggers. Go Mavs! Um, uh, joggers came back into style. I mean, do you, you guys remember this uh, before COVID. If you were wearing sweatpants during the day, you'd kind of given up on the day, right? But nowadays, it's like this is all the rage right now. Especially if you're working from a video screen, you know, business on the top, joggers on the bottom, you're good to go, you know. But the reason why I brought up joggers here is I actually think they're a really good illustration for what we're talking about today, and that is flexibility. Um, flexibility is different than flimsy. You know, like if I it, have you ever had a pair of joggers or sweatpants where the elastic had broken? You know, th- those are not good for anything. I mean, they're definitely not going to do the mission of being pants, right? Like they're not holding up much. It's like the pants have failed in their mission of what they've designed to do. But have you ever had a pair of pants and this is a rhetorical question i know what the answer is have you ever had a pair of pants like let's say jeans that were super you know super tight and great for a period of time and then if i can put this nicely conditions changed where they no longer could perform the mission either because everything was too constrictive it's it's connecting i can tell That's the genius of joggers, is that what it is, Is and this is the key I think for all of us, is they are core on a few key things. It's like this is the mission. If we don't get this part right, the waistband, the elastic part, if we're not strong on that part, then we're not going to be able to do the mission. But if we're not flexible enough, we will not be relevant and adaptable and able to apply ourselves to the changing conditions that come in the world. Um, you know, COVID not only brought back uh, joggers as part of it, I think I saw COVID uh, bring back a jogger mentality, at least here at our church. I'm so proud of these of these people that would do this. Um, there was a number of people here where they knew that, um, um, hey, we need to gather together. That's a core function of what it means to be following Jesus is gathering together with people. But when COVID hit and, they, and a lot of these groups that had um, either health uh, people that had health restrictions or were highly, uh, you know, um, uh, just at risk for the virus, they were like, you know, the old method of what it was, you know, of actually gathering in one spot in an air conditioned room, that old method couldn't work anymore. And it would have been easy in those moments for those small groups to punt, to be like, you know what, like, guess we can't do it, you know, and that would have been a genes mentality. And what I was so proud of them, even though. It was a solution that no one really loved, but it was a solution that said, hey, in this season, to be flexible, to have a jogger mentality, we need to actually meet by Zoom. That's the most loving thing that we can do for each other so that we can still do the function that we have. And I was so, so proud of what they were able to do in them because they had a jogger mentality. Please understand, you know, when I use that illustration, we are not... This DNA statement does not make us flimsy as a church. Far from it. Like we will still gather to hear God's word and base our teaching around what he says. We will still unite around the gospel message. We don't want to, if that goes away, that falls apart. We will gather relationally to encourage each other. We will serve our community and do good and share about the hope of Jesus. But if we want to move into all that God has for us, the signs and wonders that he is a part of right now, we have got to have a stretchy mentality. Uh, That was the mentality of the Church of Antioch. In a sense, again, they had to the two things that I mentioned before. They had figured out a way to be clear on the mission, crystal clear, and not adding to the mission and adding tradition. It's like this is the mission of what God has called us to do. And then to constantly recalibrate Based on the changing conditions that were in front of them. You know, when we talk about constant recalibration, it hits me in a different way right now. Um, uh, in a few months, I am going to be hitting an important milestone. I'm going to be turning 40. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, I'm not there yet. Can we adjust that, please, just to make it? Thank you. That's a lot better. Thank you. That, that makes me feel a lot better. Um, What I'm learning is that uh, a lot of the things that got me to this point will not get me where I need to go. And in some ways, I have been acting, living, unfortunately eating as if I am 20, not like I'm 40. And I need to recalibrate. It's like that's what leadership and effectiveness requires is I need to recalibrate around changing conditions. But the same is true in so many different areas, like think about your parenting, for instance, like if you're if you're a parent, that changing conditions means that, hey, if there's a if there's a way that I've been parenting, that it probably should adjust when they're from being a toddler to being a preteen and from being a preteen to being a about to leave the house or go to college. And yet what's interesting is it's so easy for us to get settled into a sort of rhythm and routine where we don't really admit that the conditions have changed or our leadership hasn't really changed as a result of those conditions changing, if that makes sense. Same true as with like our leadership, or maybe you're, you lead a business, in an organization, and, and you've been leading where it's kind of like it's a startup, and, and you're kind of getting ready to go, but it's not a startup anymore. Maybe it's actually been established for a bit, or maybe it's struggling a bit, and the leadership hasn't recalibrated to meet those needs. or. Maybe it's in your marriage and you're like, okay, this is where we were at this stage. But honestly, if I was to reevaluate the current conditions here in order to do my mission of what God's called me to be in this moment, perhaps I need to recalibrate here. I know a lot of us that are dealing with it on the fact that maybe what it means to be a child to our parent That at some point it's like, hey, you know, obviously that starts to change. Whereas our parents get older. What does it look like to recalibrate living into the mission? You know, and as we were talking about our mission as a church, for me personally, one of the ways I tend to contextualize that for my life is what Jesus called us to do in in the book of John. Where he says, we're to love other people as God through Christ has loved me. And that means radically. It means self-sacrificially. And so I want you to think in a moment about the different roles and relationships that you have in your life. And and ask yourself in your moment, in that moment, as you think of those places, is there a place or is there a way that I have perhaps gotten a little stubborn? Is, Is there a way that maybe I have gotten a little set in what it looks like for me to parent or to lead or to be a spouse? And maybe maybe if we. Personalize it and just admit it you don't have to tell this to anybody else but maybe if we say it this way maybe it's saying I like leading that way I like parenting that way I like doing church that way but then in light of current conditions how do I need to change is there an adjustment that I need to make in order to recalibrate to the mission that God has for me that's for us individually as a church uh, and I want to close with this as a church, um, when, when our church was founded, uh, it was during a time of massive cultural change. There was a lot that had happened during that time. People were, by and large, kind of changing the way that they're related and connected and communicated with people. And, and churches overall hadn't really adjusted to that. And that's what was so revolutionary about Gene. And a number of you that started our church that are still here um, were able to do is that you're like, hey, we're going to be focused on the mission. And today we are in the midst of another massive cultural change as well. You know, by and large, people are um, uh, turning from where you know people kind of had positive views of Christians and Christianity to to a lot of distrust, to where they they don't think that we're a part of the solution, but they actually think churches are oftentimes a part of the problem. And so, how do we adjust to that mindset with a mission? of saying, what does it look like to reach that person? That's why I'm so excited about uh, next week, where we're going to be celebrating the one-year anniversary of the local Good Center. The local Good Center is just a, an interesting way to be innovative in saying, what does it look like to create space with good works in order to create opportunities to share the good news? Because it's innovative, is in saying, hey, the church, maybe it's not as likely for people to come to us, what does it look like for the church to go out into our community? But there's going to be other ways that we need to be innovative as well. And that's why it's so core to who we are as a church, that change is something that isn't just, isn't just good. It's actually, it's actually necessary if we're going to stay on mission together. And so I, I want us to pray with a mindset that Paul had in 1 Corinthians. He shares this. And you're going to hear kind of a summary of what we had talked about overall. And This is from 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23. And as you do, just listen to Paul's focus of his mission, but also flexibility as well. And this is what he says. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. Basically, he he said, hey, I'm going to adapt myself to these people, even if that's not really my background. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, this is the Gentile nations, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the week. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That kind of mindset requires a lot of wisdom. And so I'm going to ask that we pray together that God would lead us as we take his message to a changing world. Father, thank you that you came into this world and you brought hope. And that hope didn't stay with one people group, one culture, didn't require adhering to a certain set of customs. It was about a relationship. And so, Father, as we take your unchanging message of grace into our world, as we represent it in our different relationships, would you give us the wisdom to know how to navigate change, where we maintain integrity, but keep influence and in being effective for generations to come. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.